Connors T, how are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. Each week we tell an Irish myth with music and we have a chat about it in the next episode. My name is Aaron and I'm here with my sister, Soraka Hegarty. And this week we are starting a two-part episode with the story of Bikru's Feast told by Soraka. This podcast is brought to you thanks to our Patreon supporters. Links and descriptions are below and to hear about new gigs, courses or latest news, go to candlelittales.ie or follow us on any social media at Candlelittales. Now, hey Soraka, tell us the story, will you? Bikru was a great warrior of Ulster, known for his lust for life and his lust for battle, for his cunning and his sharp wit. He was first into the fray, reddening his hands and reddening his sword on the blood of his enemies. But one day, Bikru took a terrible wound on the battlefield, a spear through the back. He had to be carried off and brought back to the physician of Ulster, who examined him and shook his head and gave him the sad news. This was not a wound from which one could recover. This wound would be with him till his dying day. And that day would come sooner than he might like if he did not take the physician's advice. That spear had destroyed Bikru's kidney. And so he was told that if he wanted to survive he would have to give up what he loved best, besides battle. And that was feasting. No longer was Bikru to eat anything richer than oatmeal, or drink anything stronger than buttermilk. His days of pleasure and revelry were at an end. But Bikru found that there was still joy to be had in life. Joy of a different kind, a very different kind to what he had known before. He could not join his friends in their celebrations anymore. But he'd always had an insight, and he'd always had a talent for seeing the vulnerabilities in those around him. And now Bikru found another way of celebrating, another joy, another great pleasure. The great joy of Bikru of the bitter tongue became the stirring up of conflict and strife between his companions in Ulster. He liked nothing better than to set them against each other and then sit back and watch them. He found it hilarious. Nobody else found it hilarious. And gradually, Bikru 
began to not be invited to feasts. The people learned that he was a bad guest to have. And so Bikru found himself in danger of losing his last pleasure in life. So he decided to take matters into his own hands. And Bikru of the Bitter Tongue took himself off to his home place in Dunruriga. And he began to build the best feasting hall that anyone had ever seen. Built of the best materials in Ireland. Thirty master artisans he hired to work on this. The beams for the walls had to be lifted by six men apiece. A great, lavish, nine-chambered house. It was modelled after the great palace in Awanmaka, but it was better. Better in design, better in architecture, better in materials. Bikru had only the finest. He poured wealth into this project to make a feasting hall that was so perfect, so beautiful that none would resist it. When he had his nine-chambered feasting hall finished, he set about decorating it, filling it with couches and pillows and soft furnishings, and having even more fine artisans decorate in gold leaf, in precious jewels, dotting the inside of this house. He put windows of glass into the walls. And there was one particular feature that was different from its model in Awanmaka. There was a balcony, set at the same height as the couch he put there on the dais for the king, but separate from the rest of the hall. This little balcony was an overlooking spot and there was a window between it and the hall but it was comfortably furnished as well. Bikru laid in his supplies and when all was ready when there was food and drink of the finest quality better than any in the rest of Ireland Bikru took himself to Awanmaka There was a gathering that day. All the men of Ulster were there. And Bikru approached the king with his advisers and his steward and all the wise ones around him. And he invited Crohor Magnessa most cordially to a feast in his beautiful, brand new feasting hall. Now Fergus McRoy was there. And Fergus McRoy said, absolutely not. If we go to Bikru's feast, he will have everybody fighting before the end of it. There will be bodies piled on bodies, like firewood stacked up outside for the winter. There will be more of us dead than are living today if we go to a feast in the house of Bikru of the Bitter Tongue. And Bikru looked at Fergus, honest, plain-spoken Fergus McRoy. And he said, Fergus, you shouldn't be thinking so hard on what will happen if you go. 
you should be worrying, my friend, about what will happen if you don't. Because if you refuse me, if you refuse my very generous hospitality, I'm going to walk out that door and I will set every man of Ulster against his son. Every son against his father. Brother against brother. Fergus was still not convinced. And then Bikru said, I won't stop there, my friend. The women of Ulster. I'll set mother against daughter. I'll set all the women against each other. Until they beat their breasts together and sour the milk within them. And the babes of Ulster starve. Now that threat was enough to sway even Fergus McRoy, but Crohor asked Bikru to step out for a moment while they discussed matters. You see, they weren't just going to go. There was going to have to be some accommodations made for peace of mind to make sure that everyone felt safe going to Bikru's house. Bikru left them there, stepped outside and waited. Gore's steward, Senka, proposed that Bikru not be allowed to stay in the feasting hall at the same time as the men of Ulster. Fergus McRoy proposed that they take eight hostages from Bikru and execute them if he stirred up any trouble. Gore nodded, called Bikru back in, and gave him these conditions. And Bikru went away. Smiling. Smiling a little too much for the liking of Fergus McRoy. The day of the feast came and the people of Ulster gathered in this beautiful hall. The king went up to his couch on the dais. There were twelve couches around him for the twelve greatest heroes of Ulster, Keltkar McUtterkar was there, with his big ugly mug, giant ears and his big nose. Conal Carnock was there, with his forked beard, Leary Buyuk with his golden hair. Cúchulainn came late, because Cúchulainn had spent all that day taming a great horse that had come out of a lake, the Grey of Macha, it was called. But one by one they gathered, and when all were seated and all was ready, Bikru was escorted at spear point out of the hall and into his little balcony that he had built for just this purpose. And as he was leaving, Bikru turned around, and at the top of his voice he called out, Let the champion's portion be claimed. And three men stood. Bikru had not been idle in Awanmaka. 
While the king and his advisers discussed their precautions, he'd gone for a little walk. And he had run into the warrior, Leary Buyuk. And he approached Leary. And he greeted him. How are you, Leary? He said. You know, you are a great warrior. A great leader of men. The deeds you have done are sung by the Phila of Ireland. I tell you, it is a mystery to me why you've not been named the champion of Ulster. And Leary Buyok said, you know, that's a good point, Bikru. I've never really thought about it before, but yeah, that, that, that sounds, sounds very reasonable. Then Bikru leaned in confidentially and he said, let me tell you something. The champion's portion at my feast, the one that I'm going to give now in a few days, it is the best champion's portion that anyone has ever served at any feast in Ireland. See, first off, it's cauldron full of the finest wine. You could fit three men inside it. Big men. Size of Fergus McRoy. Not little skiddly men. Next thing I have is this boar. Seven years old. Right? And in the springtime, it's only ever been fed fresh milk and fine meal. And in the summertime, nothing has gone past its lips except curds and sweet milk. In autumn, it gets the kernel of nuts and wheat. And in winter, beef and broth. It's all this pig has ever eaten. Tenderest, most delicious boar you will ever find in this world or any other. On top of that, yeah, on top of that, that's not even halfway through, man. I can't even call this creature a bull. It's like a lord of cows. Seven years old. Magic number. Now, ever since it was a little calf, my cow herds have kept it away from heather and twig tops. It has had nothing but sweet milk and herbs and meadow hay and corn. And let me tell you about the wheat cakes. Oh, the wheat cakes. A hundred of them. Cooked in honey. Five and twenty bushels of wheat. That's how much went into them. This is fine dining, my friend. And all you need to do to be known as the champion of Ulster from that day out is to take the champion's portion in my house. I'll give it to you. You deserve it. And then Bikru went away from Liri Buyuk. 
and he came upon Conlicarnock. And he went to Conlicarnock, and he asked him why it was that Conal, such a brave defender of the borders of Ulster, why he was not the champion of Ulster. And he told Conal Kernock about the champion's portion at his feast and told him to claim it too. And then as he walked on, he met Cucullin. He called out to Cucullin and he asked him, had he ever considered the position of champion of Ulster? And before he could go on, Cucullin said, if anyone else ever tries to claim the championship of Ulster over me, I'll knock their head off. Bikru said, all right, I respect that. And he went his way home. So when Bikru, at his feast, called out on his way out the door, let the champion's portion be claimed, he knew three men were going to leap to their feet. The three charioteers of the three heroes that he had picked the day he went to Awan Maka. Sedlang Macrian Gabra, the charioteer of Liri Buyuk, leapt to his feet at the same moment as Eid Macrian Gabra, charioteer of Conal Kiernock, and Laig Macrian Gabra, charioteer of Cúcullin. And each of them said, that champion's portion is for my master. As Bikru stepped out of his beautiful feasting hall, he heard the shouts of the charioteers. He heard the steel of the warriors being drawn. He smiled and he hurried up the stairs to get a better look. Shouting escalated quickly to blows. Cúcullin, Conal Kiernock and Leary Buyuk leapt to their feet, drew their swords and waded in. Over the protests of everyone there, telling them to sit, telling them to calm, telling them that this was a feast and not a fight. Cúcullin was exhausted. He had spent that day on the back of a wild horse that had come up out of a lake. He had spent that day galloping around Ireland three times. Conal Kiernock and Leary Buyuk noticed that. They exchanged a glance and they nodded. Their truce would be temporary, but the two of them turned on the young hound. The spectators cried out in protest. Two against one was hardly fair. Others started to stand, others started to shout, others started to throw things, still more started to draw their own weapons. And Crohor Magnessa, the King of Ulster, understood that if he did not do something right now, this feast would turn into a bloody brawl. And he'd be lucky if half of his warriors survived it. A raised voice would not be heard above this din. He thought fast. He got to his feet. And the King of Ulster stepped out 
into the middle of the hall. The blades were whirling by. It was like a storm of steel and he stepped straight into it, unarmed, hands at his sides. Because Crahor Magnessa knew his warriors were the most skilled in Ireland and none of them would dare strike their king. And so he stepped between the three combatants. He got in their way. And he waited. Unable to strike at each other, Cucullan and Connell and Leary were forced to put their weapons down. And when they did that, everyone else calmed down as well. And then the three looked at their king and they said, Well, whose is it? The champion's portion of Ulster. Who gets it? The steward Senka spoke up. This is not something to be decided here and now. We're going to take that champion's portion. We're going to divide it equally among the three. And after that, we're going to go to Connacht. And Maeve and Oliel will decide which of ye is the champion of Ulster. Bikru was horribly disappointed when he saw from his balcony seat all the warriors of Ulster sit back down again and his wonderful champion's portion being divided up equally without a fight. He did not despair for long, however. Bikru saw something interesting. Sometime later, after everyone had eaten their fill, when the warriors were getting down to the serious drinking, he saw Fidelm of the Fresh Heart heading out for a little walk with fifty of her handmaidens with her. And he ran down the stairs and he caught her as she was going out the door and he said, Fidelm, I don't know if you know this, but the first woman back inside my feasting hall, that woman will be counted first among the women of Ulster and her husband will be the champion of Ulster. Not a rule that I just made up this second. It's a a real thing. You should know. And so Fidelm went out on her walk. But she kept a close eye on who else was leaving the hall. Bikru intercepted Lendauer, the favourite wife of Colonel Kernock, whispered the same little message into her ear and then he saw the wife of Cucullin getting up with her friends to take a little constitutional between the courses and he thought, ah, all is not lost. 
So he told her the same thing. Now the men sat back at their ease in the feasting hall, eating, drinking, listening to the entertainment, which was exquisite. And then they heard something. It sounded a little like thunder. But it was not thunder, it was too steady. And it was getting louder. And as they sat up in alarm, they thought, it must be the sound of an invading army. That surely could be nothing other than hoofbeats of chariots racing towards them, here in their vulnerable state. But Sinka, the steward, he looked out one of the glass windows and he called out, Stop! That's no army. Bikru's after stirring up the women. Fidelm, Lindauer and Emer had walked a ways away from the feasting hall. And then Fidelm had turned back. And Emer had noticed and she'd turned back as well and so had Lindauer. And then as they glanced at each other, each one saw that the other one knew what she was thinking. They started to walk a little faster. But none of them wanted to admit that she was running. And so they ran, walked, walk ran, as fast as they could go. And then one of them hiked up her skirts and the other one threw her skirts right over her shoulder and the three of them were flat out sprinting across the plains with all of their handmaidens behind them trying their best to keep up. When they got back to the feasting hall... The door was barred. Senka, the steward, was standing inside and saying, No one is coming in. This is not how we're deciding this. We're not going to have another fight. Everyone's going to calm down. Of course, the warriors did not like this, their wives being locked out of the hall. And no one could agree on who was going to get to come in first. So Senka, ordinarily a very wise man, came up with a suggestion. May not have been the best, in hindsight. And in order to avoid violence, he suggested that the women have a war of words to see which of them was worthy of coming into the feasting hall first. Fidelm of the Fresh Heart went first. My husband, Leary, is peerless among the Ulster warriors. You all know his great triumphs for Ulster. Why should I not step first into the Mead Hall when I am shapelier than all women? Lindauer looked at her and said, "Mm, Beauty you have, but beauty I have as well. Beauty and reason and grace of deportment. Fine in my stepping. 
I need to get in first to my lovely spouse and darling Colonel Kiernock with his great shield and his fine hard sword he goes proudly into battle and he comes proudly back home to me carrying the heads of his enemies let me in first it's the hall of a king and I am queenly Emer, the wife of Cúchulain. She looked at the other two. She stepped forward. And she said, I am the standard of woman. In figure, in grace, in wisdom, in beauty, I am a picture of graces. And I am so loving and so capable of love that if I were of a different character, not one of you would have a husband tomorrow. My spouse is a hound of Cullen. Blood from his spear is spurting. Life blood is dripping from his sword. Finally his body is fashioned but his skin is gaping with wounds. He leaps like a salmon over the ears of his horses, over the breaths of your men. He performs the rarest of feats, the darkest of feats. And then she looked again at the other two. And Emer said, Shaped like cows and led like cows by the women of Ulster, Winset beside the wife of Cúchulain. And then all hell broke loose inside the hall. Conal Kiernock and Leary Buyok leapt to their feet and started battering the side of the hall, trying to break open a gap so that their wife could get through. And when Cúchulain saw that they were doing this, he leapt to his feet too, but he did not try and break through the side of the hall. Cúchulain went directly for the foundations and he picked up the side of that hall. That hall that had needed six men to carry in every pillar Cucullin lifted it. He strained and he strained and he lifted it above his head. And his wife Emer and her fifty handmaidens came inside. And then before anyone else could, he dropped it with a crash. That beautiful feasting hall. It landed so hard that the entire hall skewed sideways. So great was the jolt that Bikru, sitting there in his lovely little balcony with his lovely little windows, was flung out through the window and into the stable where the dogs were kept. 
and into the place where the dog's muck was raked. There was outcry in the hall. Colonel Carnock and Leary Buyock still hammering at the sides of it, trying to knock the beams out, and the door was flung open and no one paid attention to the man covered in dog dirt who walked into the middle of it. And then Bickrew cried out from the middle of the hall, Agesh! Agesh on ye valiant Ulster men! Never to eat nor drink until you have set my house right just as you found it on your arrival. A gesh is a gesh. And so the warriors of Ulster went outside and they tried to push against the side of that hall and set it right again. But one of them was not helping. One of them was feeding honey cakes to his clever wife for her brilliant speech and relaxing on his couch because he'd had a hard day. Bickrew began to complain. The men of Ulster began to berate. Senka suggested they ask the man who left it lopsided to set it upright. And so they all entreated Cucullin. Cucullin wanted to get back to the feast. So he agreed. He stood up and he went outside and he bent down and he tried to lift the house. But when he dropped it, it had sunk seven feet into the ground so he couldn't get a grip on it. He started to get frustrated and he started to feel the anger well up within him and he let it bubble up and he let it boil through and his knees turned backwards and his fingers extended into claws and he sank them into the side of the house of Bikru and he heaved and at last with a great crashing and a great crackling the beautiful feasting hall of Bikru was lifted back up and set right now there was much discussion on that day of who the champion of Ulster would be. But Senka and Crohor, between the two of them, managed to divert the question, to put it off for another day. The champion's portion had been distributed. It was claimed by all and by none. They would have to go through other tests and other trials to find out who was worthy. And the first of those was to be at Crucanae in the house of Maeve and Aliel. This podcast was produced and edited by Rory O'Shea and Oisín Ryan. You can find out more about us at our website, candlelittales.ie And we're on all the social media as well. So like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Candlelittales or send us a message to get onto our mailing list. For more videos and live streams, like and subscribe to our Candlelit Tales YouTube channel, which now has a Candlelit Tales for Kids playlist.
Hashtag Candle Little Tales. Liking and subscribing to our channel really helps us grow and gets us out to more people. And if you'd be able to give us a little bit more direct support, you can chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash candlelittales or make a one-off donation through the PayPal button on our website. We really like to hear back from you with your questions and requests, so please feel free to contact us directly or leave your question in the comments section below. Because what we really want to do is get these stories out there, share them with as many people as possible, so anything you can do to help, we really appreciate. And we really especially appreciate you just listening. Till next time. You.